Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Give it up for the dads today. We love our dads, father-like figures. My name is Zach. I am one of the pastors here. This is my second Father's Day, but first with Felix out into the world. So it's been a blast this weekend. Yes, there you go. That's fun. You can give it up for that. Uh, I also had a birthday yesterday, so yeah, there you go. Uh, just take it. I just I want it. Just give the praise. And I turned 37, right? And so I'm moving closer and closer to what they call midlife. Uh, I read this somewhere this week that 40 is the old age of youth, and 50 is the youth of old age. Uh, and whatever happens in between 40 and 50 is just a black hole, right? And you just, no one knows. <laughs> Oh, that's, you know, that's like the middle age, you know, so it's like the middle age of old age, so thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, but, you know, so I'm, I'm moving that way, and I don't think, I don't have anything yet that's come up that's necessarily been a, a major kind of midlife crisis thing. There, there is one thing that I've, I've experienced, uh, if you've known me for a while, maybe you've seen it, but my, my hairline is, is receding, starting to lose some hair on the top here, lose some hair on the back, and a couple of years ago, I called out from the bathroom to my wife. I said, hey, Leah, I was like, I have something really sad to show you. And without a beat, she goes, oh, is it your receding hairline? And I was like, dang, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Like, just, that was not what I was trying to show her, like, and it was just brutal. And, and so I'll be 100% honest with you, like, true, full transparency, not just because of that comment, because, like, you know, you just, ah, oh, man, like, I don't necessarily want to be losing my hair. And so I've wrestled over the past couple of years with, like, what should I do? Like, should I wear hats more? Should I shave it off? Uh, at one point, I literally got on, you know, to one of those websites. I think this one was, like, for hymns, and I broke down. And I actually ordered some of the stuff, right, the do your hair or whatever. And I got it in the mail, and I was like, no, that's not me. And I, like, threw, the, I threw it away. So sometimes, though, I still, like, wrestle with it. I'll hear a commercial, and I'm like, should I, should I now? Should I do this now? But we all have those things, right? And that one's a silly thing. It's, it's, a, it's a moment where you're kind of wondering, who am I? What do I do? Where am I going to go? And we all have these moments, right, where sometimes we get stuck. Uh, it can be brought about by something that happens abruptly, right? Sometimes it's a, a crisis or a tragedy that brings about, oh, my gosh, what do I do right now? Where is my direction? What, what needs to happen next? Sometimes it's something really good, right? Maybe we get a new job offer. It's like, oh, man, I have to move across the country, but this job is my dream job, or I got into this school, and it's this amazing opportunity, and so we're wrestling with what we need to do. Sometimes this can be something we see coming, right? It's not always the abrupt thing, but it's we are in the stage of life, right? Like we have some folks here who are, are pregnant. And so they know that there's this period coming at the end of nine months and then whew, life is gonna change drastically and dramatically. Retirement, school, there's so many things that we can see and we know that are coming and they can be these good things. We know that these moments can sometimes be brought about by ourselves, right? In this scenario with my receding hairline, that's some of my own insecurity. So the whole reason I'm even stuck in this thing is because I'm wrestling with, like, oh, should I get some more hair up there? I don't know. And how are people looking at me? How are people perceiving me? That's my own insecurity, right? Sometimes it can be brought up by our own restlessness, right? Life can be going smooth. Life can be going great. Things are going easy. 
And it's that feeling of just, ah, I need to do something. I've got this wanderlust. I can't just sit when things are chill and calm. I've got to go pursue this thing over here. What should I do? I've got to pursue this thing over here. Right? And sometimes it can just be brought about by others. Right? Someone else does something, and all of a sudden, we're in this moment where we have to decide, what do I do? In light of what this person did around me, and again, that could be a good or bad thing, right? Again, someone offers you a job, what do I do? Something terrible happens in the midst of your family or your friends, and you're wrestling with that. And I think a lot of the questions that we go to in those moments really revolve around three things, right? There's an identity piece. Better get that. It's important. It could be, I don't know. There's an identity piece, right? Who am I? Right, do I want to be this guy that's, you know, putting stuff on my hair, or do I just want to lean into my baldness, right? But who am I in this moment? I think there's a direction piece, right, where we start to ask, like, where am I? Where have I been? Where am I right now? Where am I going as this moment, this crisis, or this good thing, or whatever it is that's got us stuck is going on? And we all want to know, what do I do? What do I do, right? So you have identity, direction, and action. And those are some of the questions that we start to wrestle with in those moments. And so today we're going to be looking at a set of passages where the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, inspired the Apostle Peter to put pen to paper and write these words down to encourage a group of believers, a group of Christians, who were dealing with one of these moments, one of these stuck moments where they were asking the same questions. Who are we? Where are we going? And what should we do, God? And so we do this every week that we're gathered together at Steel City Church. It's a reminder of the fact that what is said up here isn't about Chris or myself or anyone who speaks, but we stand and we rest on the word of God. And so we invite you to stand with us, symbolically, and read along with us, if you're willing and able, as we look at today's passages. This is 1 Peter, starting in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. For the grass withers and the flower fades, and the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. Did anyone get nervous when I read that verse? Like, was he ending here? Like some of y'all, it's like Simon Says, where you kind of like lean that way. No, he didn't say Simon Says. So these verses, right, they're in the book of 1 Peter, and we've been in this series a couple of weeks now in the summer called Inspired, where we're looking at some of these smaller books in the New Testament, and we're reminded, even in the series title, right, that these books were inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. He works with these human authors to help guide and direct them to put these words into place. And so this was written by Peter, 
He's one of the original apostles, original followers of Jesus, and he is writing this letter to a group of Christians in what would be today northern Turkey. And he's writing from Rome. It's 30 years removed from the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So he's lived a pretty good life at this point. He's probably somewhere in his late 60s. So he's in, he's in the midlife of old age. For you, that was for you, Beth, earlier. And he's writing to this group of people who are experiencing persecution for their faith. This is a group of Christians that because they are followers of Jesus, the state at that time, the Roman state and the Greek states were literally imprisoning some of them, putting them through harsh penalties and punishment, and for some of them this even led to death, right? So on top of the everyday challenges of life that we all face, they were also facing the challenge and the burden of being stuck, these crisis moments, this thing that was related to what they believed. And so as we look at these verses today, we see that faith is something that can actually help us in these moments, but it's something to hold on to even when that faith itself is attacked. If I were to sum up what we just read here in 1 Peter 23, a little bit into chapter 2, verse 3, Say what Peter is telling us this morning and what he wants us to understand and what I hope that we walk away with this morning is that we are encouraged to become who we already are in Christ. You are encouraged to become who you already are in Christ. And this is a critical thing. Faith creates a critical foundation for the rest of our lives as we face these moments because we are going to face them. But faith helps give us some answers to our identity, right? Become who you are already in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. It gives you some direction. That's the become. Become who you already are. And as, you see, as you'll see later this morning, uh, there's actually some direction or some action steps that we can take. So who am I in Christ? Who are you in Christ? Peter starts off in verse 23, he says, because you have been born again. Because you have been born again. He makes this assumption, like I said, he's writing to a group of Christians and he knows that they've been born again. This is not the first time though that he uses this phrase in this letter. A few passages before, a few short verses before, he says this in 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here Peter's talking about it, and he gets this concept, this idea, from Jesus himself. Jesus, in John chapter 3, uses this same language. As he's talking to Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, this guy who knew the law and he knew the scripture so well, this guy comes to Jesus at night, and he's talking to him. And they're having this interaction. And he's asking him questions. Nicodemus is asking these questions of, all right, well, who are you? And what are you all about? And what do you want us to do? And Jesus tells him in a couple of different verses. You'll see one of them on the screen. John 3, 3 says, unless one is born again, 
You cannot see the kingdom of God. And again, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be born again? Right? We read these verses, because you've been born again. Peter's talking about it a little bit earlier in that letter. Jesus is talking about it here with Nicodemus. What does it mean to be born again? Well, the Greek word literally just means to be begotten, to be birthed. So it's actually a pretty good translation. It's ganao or anaganao. But we see in these verses, right, both times that it's used by Peter, by Jesus, is it's not talking about an actual physical birth. It's talking about something spiritual. There's a spiritual transformation that is taking place here. And it happens, first and foremost, right, in 1 Peter 3, according to the Father. According to the Father. And we see as that verse continues on in 1, 3, it happens according to the Father through the resurrection of the Son, Jesus Christ. And then last, as Jesus talks about it himself, he says that you must be born again of the Spirit. And so here we see Father, Son, and Spirit all playing a role in this spiritual transformation that is happening. If you needed to say it another way, right, Being born again, this transformation that happens is something that is purposed by God the Father. It is accomplished by Jesus, God the Son. And it is applied to us by God the Holy Spirit. So it's a spiritual transformation. But I think that leads us to the question of, well, why do we need this transformation? Why do we need to be reborn? And this speaks to a reality, a condition of who we are in our human nature. See, what the scriptures tell us over and over and over again is that our very nature, right, who we are at the core, core of ourselves is sinful. And we use this language at Steel City where we say sin is any action or thought or who we are at our very being, at our very core, our very nature, that does not reflect the image of God, the perfect, holy, without sin, without evil, without anything bad, image of God, any action or thought, our very nature that does not reflect him is sin. And so I think for most of us, we'd be willing to admit none of us are perfect in this room. But like I said, the scripture tells us down at our very core, at our very heart, We are sinful. We cannot transform ourselves. We are essentially a bunch of people who are dying. We have a horrific disease, and we maybe get to live a little bit longer than someone else, but we can't actually bring the cure about for ourselves because everything that we touch, everything that we do continues to be tainted, continues to be infected by that disease, and so we need someone or something that is actually not infected, that does not have that same nature, that sin nature. And the scripture tells us that's who Jesus is. He was both human, he took on flesh, but he was divine, and that he was God. He did not have a sinful nature. He was not infected by that disease. And so it's through his life 
his death and his resurrection, that he actually makes a way for us to possibly experience that transformation. See, the death that we deserve, the death that we are walking to and moving towards in our disease, in our brokenness, he went on our behalf to the cross and experienced that death for us. And so we have an opportunity to respond to that. And again, in the scripture, over and over, what it says, Jesus teaches this himself, when we respond to what he's done, it's called repentance and belief. It's two church words. Repent literally just means to turn from something and to turn to something else. And so we turn from whatever our past desires, ways, things that are not of the image of God, and we turn to the image of God, who is Christ. And we believe that this is what he's done, that the life that he lived, the death that he died, the fact that he came back and rose from the dead is something that we can confidently rely on. So that's what it means to be born again. We experience a spiritual transformation that was God's design, God's plan, the Father's. It was accomplished by Christ and it begins to be applied to us by the Spirit. If you had to have a definition, it would be the change of our heart, our nature, our being from apathy or antagonism toward God to a heart, nature, or being of love for him and a desire to love the things that he loves. We no longer love the things of our old nature, but we love the things of God and this new nature, this new thing that he has put inside of us. Now, when we look at those verses, we not only see how they happen right through Jesus, applied by the Spirit, willed by the Father, but when we look at them, we see there's a couple of different benefits that happen. Jesus says, you will see the kingdom, you will enter the kingdom. Peter said that you will be brought into a living hope. One of the incredible things about putting your faith and trust in Jesus is not just that you are saved, but that you actually receive these incredible benefits. What it says in scripture is that when God looks at us, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, he actually sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees Christ. Not your old nature, not your old self, not all the things that you've ever done in the past, but he sees Christ. And then when you look at these benefits, You'll see them on the screen here. It's not just that he sees Christ. There are an incredible number of things that we, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, can confidently claim. This is who I am in Christ. This is one of the times if you have a phone, you can get it out. You can take a picture of this. I need to go back to this all the time. I wrestle at times as I'm facing different challenges in our world, in our life, I wrestle with my identity in terms of who I am. You know, I, I want to be a good dad. I really want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. And I can't tell you the number of times that I feel like I'm an absolute failure as a husband when I don't love my wife in the way that I know that I'm supposed to, but I feel my limitations. When I don't care for my son the way that I want to, but I feel my limitations. And sometimes I start to spiral into these lies and these beliefs that I am worthless, that I am nothing, that I'll never be the father that I want to be, the husband that I want to be, the friend that I want to be. Sometimes I just have to take a deep breath and go back to these truths, root myself, ground myself in the reality that this is how God sees me, that this is who I am. The same 
is true for any that have put their faith and trust in Jesus. When God looks at you, this is who he sees. And this is what we live our life from. We live our life from this truth. So that answers that first question of who am I in Christ? But I think it leads to a very practical next question, which what does it look like to become something you already are? What does it look like to become something that you already are? It's kind of an oxymoron, right? If I am already this thing, how do I become this thing? I have two words for you, capacity and access. See, when we are in Christ, when we have been born again, when that transformation has taken place, we now have the capacity, right, which is just, when you think about capacity, it's, it's the ability of how much can something hold. What is the capacity of this room? Put a lot of people in here. It could be a lot of fun, right? And so when we are in Christ, we have the capacity to love God and love the things that he loves. With the Spirit, we have access to everything we need to grow into the fullness of that capacity. Access and capacity. With the Spirit, you have the access to grow fully into that whole capacity that God has now created in you. I think a good example of this is, imagine today you get an email. It's a real email. It's not a scam. You find out somehow you just became the richest person in the world. Like, richer than Elon Musk, anyone else, right? You are the richest person in the world. You now have the capacity to literally buy, do, make anything that you want to see happen, happen, right? You are the richest person in the world. That is your identity. You have that capacity now. That'd be awesome, right? Some, someone's getting an email today. Whoever amens, they're getting that email. Um, right? But you don't necessarily know how to live like the richest person in the world, See, there are things that we see this all the time, right? When people win the lottery, they win all this money, and then they just throw it away because they don't actually know what it looks like to have all of these new benefits, all of these new things, all of these new realities. They've been given the capacity, but they don't know how to live in the fullness of that capacity. And that's our reality. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, we've been given this capacity, but now we need to actually learn how to live in light of that fullness. That's what we see here in 1 Peter. In verse 23, he uses this illustration of a seed, right? He calls it the imperishable seed. It's the seed that's inside of us that God has put inside of us when we put our faith and trust in him. But I love the image of a seed because what does a seed do over time? It grows. It grows. Right, you think about the giant redwood trees. Have you guys ever seen one of those? If you've been out to California or different parts of the West Coast, they're these massive trees. Giant redwood grows up to the height and sometimes taller of, you know, the towers over a pit. Those three round towers that all the freshmen live in. That's how tall these trees grow. It takes them 50 years to reach that height. They can live for up to 3,000 years. The seed that starts these massive trees is the size of a tomato seed. This little seed, the seed that God has planted inside of us, it starts to grow. 
And with a seed, right, there is all this potential of what it could become. It has this purpose. It knows what it is supposed to become. But it has to grow and be cultivated over time. When we think about this idea of this seed being planted inside of us and growing, we know that it takes time. Trees took 50 years for them to reach their potential, to reach their height, and then they continue to live that out over the course of time. And we know that there are seasons and milestones in the life of that tree as it grows. I've had the privilege and the opportunity to start gardening over the past couple years. So I have some strawberries in my backyard. I got some tomatoes and some cucumbers. I had some carrots and some beets, but a groundhog got them. I'm not bitter, but it wasn't a good day in my house for me. And as I've been doing this for the past three years, it's funny because, you know, we put something in the ground, and anytime I've planted something new for the very first time, like, for me, it's actually really anxious because I'm like, what's happening under there? Like, is this thing going to grow? Like, I built this bed. I did all this work. All this stuff has happened, and like, oh, my gosh. And then, boom, the first time it comes up through the ground, oh, it's amazing. And then you get to watch it grow, and you see all these different stages that it goes through, and there's all these different realities. There's these seasons and these milestones for these plants that are growing. I get to see this in my son right now, too. Like, there's things that he does, and I'm like, that's incredible. No baby has ever done that before. And then I, like, Google it, and it's like, this is totally normal. Your baby might even be a little behind. Oh, no, no, Felix, ah! (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's not true. Sorry, Felix, he's down there. But we need some time to know what these milestones are, not because there's something that we have to achieve, but it can give us a source of direction and a source of clarity, right? If we are in Christ and that gives us a source of identity, if we know who we are becoming and what it actually looks like to become more like Christ, it gives us that foundation of direction. At Seal City, we just did this series called Onward, where we walked through some of these directions or milestones in the life of our church. Um, We laid out different ways that people can grow and what it looks like to continue to just become who you already are in Christ. I'm not gonna go through all of those, but I wanna kinda go through the stages that are on the far side, the novice, the apprentice, and the ambassador. Right, when you are new in the faith or young in the faith, you are a novice. It's okay that you don't know everything. Uh, You probably never will know everything, but it's okay that you're new and excited. I think of Felix in this stage, right? He's a novice to the world, and he loves when he sees us, but the moment we leave the room, he starts freaking out, right? I think a lot of us in that stage, that's what it's like with God. I love it when I'm at church. I love it when I'm with my people. Boom, the moment I walk away from some of those things, I'm like, whoa, where's God? Where's he at? And so we're learning over time what it looks like to be confident in who God is, the fact that he is living and enduring, the fact that he continues on and on and on and that he is faithful. When you talk about someone who's an apprentice, right, they're learning a craft or a trade. They're working alongside someone who's an expert. And that's what we see with God as we continue to grow in our faith. We start to learn how to apply the truths of his word to every aspect of our lives what we know and believe and understand about him, how we interact with others, 
who know him and believe him, who don't know him and don't believe him. And we learn what it is that we need to do. We can kind of go do some things on our own with his help and guidance. And then last, you see the stage of an ambassador. It's the reality that you can actually go out into the world or out among people and people look and they see Christ in you. Now again, you still need God with you. That's the work of the spirit that is working in and through you. But people start to see that in you. Now, what's important, and I can relate to this, is when you see something like this on a screen, this is not a checklist or a growth ladder for if I get to A and then B and then C and then D and then E and so on and so forth. It's just helpful to understand and know what your seasons and rhythms and milestones can look like. But one of the things that we see in the scripture, you are becoming who you already are in Christ. As you are growing, this is not growth that you bring about. This growth is actually brought about by God. We see that in 1 Peter when he quotes Isaiah 40. All people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the, flower fa- the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. See, our efforts by ourselves apart from God, it's grass and flowers. Those aren't bad things. Grass is really cool. I like grass. I'm trying to get my grass not to die in my backyard right now after this drought. And then flowers, oh my gosh, they're beautiful. We're growing wildflowers in my backyard right now, and it is beautiful to see them bloom and come alive and open up, but they fade away. We had a whole series of poppies that came up and they've all just been fading away because that's the end of their season. See, when we put our energy and our effort into the things of this world, not even necessarily things that are bad, but when we try to do it apart from God, without God, even our best efforts, right? That's the glories of the field, the flower, our greatest achievements, our highest things, still fade but what God brings about the growth that he brings the transformation that he brings it is living and enduring lasts forever so we do not bring about the growth we see that in other spots in scripture right the idea of Apollos planted Paul watered, but God brings the growth some of these people in the New Testament scripture who are part of God's ministry over and over and over again are reminded that God is the one that brings the growth So we know who we are in Christ. That's our identity. We know what it looks like to become who we already are. It's God work in us. So I think, again, a natural question is, well, is there any role that we play in this? Or is it just all God, I just sit here, let him do his thing? Well, here's the reality. See, this new nature that is this imperishable seed in you, this imperishable seed that is transforming who you are from the inside out. It's growing inside of you. It still has to contend. It still is in the context of the environment and the realities of its environment. Right? What do you do with a seed? You put it into the soil. And the condition of that soil and light and air and water and whatever else is going on, the temperature, that's the environment that the seed is in. 
the seed is alive and it is living. But man, I can tell you, if that environment is off in some way, it's going to impact how that seed grows, what happens with that seed. These stuck moments that we face in our life, whether they're a crisis, positive thing that we see coming down the pipeline where we just don't know who we are or where we're supposed to go. These are those environments. I said they can be brought on by us, be brought on by others, but these are those environments. And Peter actually tells us how we can address those environments. There are some things that we can do to maybe clean up the environment or fertilize or cultivate, whatever the word is that you want to use, that environment. He says in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, put away these things, malice, envy, slander, hypocrisy, gossip. Crave pure spiritual milk, this nourishment. See, because of who you are in Christ, because of who you are becoming in him, God has now invited you to come alongside him and cultivate the soil of your life. If you need me to say this another way, weed and feed your soil. (laughs) Weed and feed your soil. Remove the things that negatively impact this environment, that are going to impact the way that this seed grows, and actually nourish it, feed it, give it the things that it needs. Weed and feed your soil. We have this stupid plant in my backyard. Greg Lines, he knows what I'm talking about. Japanese knotweed. Anybody know what this thing is? It's this stupid plant. You see it all over the place. It's an invasive species. Someone started cultivating it in the UK like 100 years ago, brought it over here. They thought it looked like a great ornamental plant, and this thing just goes. And it spreads everywhere, hillsides, backyards. It is the freaking worst thing. When we first got our house, we literally had a jungle of this stuff in my backyard. Like it was an actual, genuine, like you go look at pictures of a jungle and bamboo and all that stuff. That's what it looked like in my backyard. It was like six, seven, eight feet tall. This stuff is ruthless. Literally, we've lived in our house now, I think, for about six years. And I've had to battle this stuff every single year. Now, the first year, And it just was ripping the jungle out. Just ripped the plants out, ripped them out, ripped them out. The thing with knotweed, though, is it keeps coming back. But the first year, we ripped it out. I mean, we put it away. And we had to keep mowing it down. We used different things to knock it out. It's great. Eventually, we've started to be able to plant other things there, good plants that aren't this Japanese knotweed, and nourish those plants and see them start to grow. Now, what's crazy about knotweed Two things. One, it actually can kind of know when something's going on. So if you're starting to uproot it, do your thing, get rid of it, it'll just start growing somewhere else in someone else's yard. So, you know, I'm sorry, neighbors. But my yard is good. I don't know much y'all's yard, right? But it, it, it knows this thing. So it's going on over there, right? So you could do all this work and it's still going to happen. So you kind of got to pay attention, not just to your yard, but to the environment around you. They have not weed over there. Man, that could drift over here. I got to be mindful of that. But what's also crazy is this stuff, man, if you really, really, I mean, I'm talking like got after it, got it all up, all the roots, everything under the ground. If a sliver as big as your pinky, as big as your pinky nail, 
stays in the ground can actually start regrowing from that. It can lie dormant for 20 years and start growing again. That is what sin is like in our environment. Right? Even when we have this new life in us and this transformation and we are becoming who we are, the reality is that we still have these little, little slivers, sometimes these really big patches that we've got to go rip up and put away, but sometimes we even have these little slivers. And we don't even know that they were there. It'd be really stupid for me to go after that little sliver in my yard. It'd mean I'd have to bring in a backhoe, rip up my entire yard. Like, it would be crazy. But what happens is as the environment changes, as the right conditions come, as things happen, boom, that plant comes back. And that's what happens for some of us sometimes, right? Some of us, we've got to go do the work to rip up. Man, there's just really clear, flagrant things that are going on in our lives. We just need to get rid of them. But for some of us, and there's these little slivers that are just in there, and we're not going to be able to do anything about them until that moment happens. Until that moment happens. And sometimes that's what these stuck moments, these crisis moments, these things that happen, they actually bring those things back up in us. All of a sudden, it's the right time, and that little seed, that little root that isn't of God starts to go. And so it's not just, hey, do this once in your life. Follow Jesus, rip all this stuff up, and everything's good after that. Now, over the course of your life, there are going to be things that happen that continue to see things sprout up. And so we have to be people who are not just committed to doing this once, but over and over and over again, are we willing to cultivate our environment and put away some of these things? Malice, it's just, it's evil. It's any type of evil. It's anything that doesn't reflect the goodness of God. We see envy. It's when we want someone else, it's when we want something that someone else has. And we want to take it from them. So I don't experience that. If you've ever said the phrase, oh, that must be nice. That must be nice. It must be nice that they have that over there. It must be nice to have this input or this influence or this thing. That's a form of envy. Hypocrisy, right? When we think of ourselves in some type of way that we're better and they aren't. Slander or gossip. It's intentionally trying to take someone down with your words to make yourself feel better. We are all guilty of these things. I am guilty of these things. If you look at them, though, they all involve our orientation towards other people. It's them over there that I need to make myself feel better than. So I'll say something about them. I'll want something of theirs. Whatever it is. These are the things that we need to work on over and over and over because they will come back up. But what's important is not just what we remove, but what Paul says, or what Peter says about what we need to nourish. See, we weed and feed the environment, the soil of our life. And he says, nourish with pure spiritual milk that you may grow into your salvation. And we do that by coming to the scriptures. But we don't just take the scriptures, right? I think about my own backyard, right? If I just buy a bag of fertilizer and I read the instructions and then I do nothing with them, it's not going to help my yard. It's not going to help my plants. It's not going to help anything. We actually take this and let it come inside of us and actually apply itself to us. 
And we do that through taking in the scripture. We do that through reading, listening, being around other people who know the scripture, those ambassadors, those apprentices, people who know who God is, who can actually nourish us with this word. I love that it says crave. That's almost as, it's just as impactful as the idea of put away, rip out, crave. Man, soak yourself in this. Put yourself in this. It's why you come here, hopefully, on Sundays. It's why we preach this and teach this. It's why this Tuesday, when we gather together for one of our connect nights, we're going to get into the scripture. It's why we have our discipleship groups. It's an opportunity over and over and over again to nourish ourselves with this. The final line in this passage today says, if you have tasted the goodness of the Lord. We weed, we rip it out, and we feed, we nourish, but man, dude, sometimes you just gotta taste. Our strawberries, I love when they hit that ripe moment in my backyard. In fact, I was really bummed this year because there was one strawberry that was about to go ripe. I went out there one day, I was like, it needs one more day. Go out there the next day, it was gone. I went inside, I go, Leah, I was like, did you eat that strawberry? She's like, I didn't even know that strawberry was out there. Groundhog got it. If someone wants to talk to me later about this groundhog, we can get some work done. But I love going out into that patch and picking those strawberries and just tasting the goodness of those things. And what it does is it actually reminds me, oh yeah, this is why I do this every year. This is where I fight these stupid groundhogs. Those are, you know, these are the negative things that are just going on, taken away. That's why I weed this garden. That's why I prepare it and do all this work. That's why I feed it and nourish it and do all these things. Man, to taste that sweet goodness. And that's what the Lord invites us to do at times. And taste and see that he is good. And then cultivate that soil of your life. Become who you already are in Christ. As we close today, I want to invite you to do just a couple of things. If you don't know whether or not you can say, I am in Christ, if you cannot answer the question, where is your identity, and confidently say, it is in Christ, And we would love to talk to you about that, talk with you more about that. You can put on your Connect card that you're interested in learning more. But I would make an invitation, as I said earlier, uh, the response to who God is and what he's done is just to repent and believe. Say, God, hey, I know I'm imperfect. I know I am broken. I know that the soil and the environment in my heart, my soul, my life, my nature is imperfect. God, would you put a new nature in me? If you are someone who has done that, you believe, you've trusted, you've rested in Christ, I want to invite you to do two things. One, if you are striving for this idea of growth and everything that you do is this effort and this energy, you're like, I believe in God. Man, but I got to make all this stuff happen. Right? What we see, the flower fades, the grass fades. And I would invite you just to rest to rest in the fact that God is the one that is doing that work in you. And I think a huge way that you do that is you become a part of a body, you become a part of a church where other people can remind you of, no, 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 no. Stop working. Rest on who God is. But lastly, I want to leave you guys with this quote 
This is for people who are followers of Christ, who even get stuck in their own faith. The faith itself is the thing that they're stuck in. And they're stuck between this environment that they've previously been in and the reality that there is this imperishable seed in them that God wants to grow and transform. This is from D.A. Carson, and again, this is for people who are following Jesus, who are maybe wrestling with this old environment and the environment that they're in. And I think it's a sober reminder to not stay stuck in that place. No one is more miserable than the Christian who for a time hedges on his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasures, and he does not love Christ enough to relish holiness. He perceives that his rebellion is iniquitous, but obedience seems distasteful. He does not feel at home any longer in the world, but the memory of his past associations and the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He is a man most pitied, and he cannot forever remain ambivalent. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of that as followers of Christ. Life happens, there's an environment around us, but sometimes we just get stuck in our own ambivalence. So if you need to repent of anything or turn from anything, you are already in Christ. You're already becoming who you are. Man, but do not stay stuck in that old environment or that old thing that is trying to lure you away from cultivating something really, really incredible in your life this morning, this week, this month. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna take communion together. The band can come up after I pray. And we'll get to celebrate who God is, what he's done, and how he's transforming us when we take that together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for the fact that we can rest confidently in you, that our identity is in you, that you have given us a direction to become who you already have called us to be and made us to be. God, that you work from within to transform us more and more into your likeness that the invitation that you make is not to work harder, but to taste your goodness. God, help us to be people who cultivate a heart, a soil of our lives, God, that addresses the environment that is around us, God, and removes anything that you don't love, that removes anything that is not of you. God, that nourishes everything that is good and true and righteous and holy that is from you and about you. Lord, as we take communion today, God, even let us pause for a moment and reflect on where we are. Are we in you? And if not, what do we need to say right now? What do we need to acknowledge and make the simple ask of, yes, Lord, I believe. Lord, if we are in you, we know we find ourselves in you. God, would you reveal to us, anyone in this room, 
what it is, God, that is just deteriorating their environment, stripping away from who you want them to become. That barrier, that impediment, that thing that just, you want to come alongside of us and help us put away to rip up. God, and then even as we take this bread and this juice, God, let it actually be a sweet taste of your goodness and let it be something that nourishes the seed that you have planted in us this morning. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. Every time I'm up here, I always forget to grab one of these things, so I'm gonna grab one. If you need to grab one, the communion is coming around and you could take one, just throw your hand up and the people will get you one. I'll grab one from Rach here in a second. So one of the things that's incredible about taking communion, this is something that I'm always reminded of, is that it's something physical and tangible. It's not just this ethereal thing. I've said this before, but I'll say it again probably every time that I get the opportunity to lead this with you guys, take this with you guys. Right, when we partake in this, uh, it's not just a remembrance, though it is, and it's not just a symbol, though it is, but it is a physical reminder that as we eat this bread and Christ says, this was my body broken for you, we are literally breaking the bread. We were a part of that body breaking. Our sin, our failure to reflect God and our actions and our thoughts and our very nature and being was part of what nailed him to the cross and required his body to be broken for us. When we taste this juice, it's a reminder of his blood poured out. Now, for him, it was a bitter moment, and it would remain a bitter moment if he did not overcome and conquer death. But because he did, and because we can be found in him, and because there is transformation, it actually becomes a moment of sweetness where we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I ask you this morning as you take this out, Jesus in the upper room with his disciples said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat this and do this in remembrance of me. We do that together. Again, as he took the cup, the wine, he reminded them that this is his blood poured out for them. He asked them to drink this and do this in remembrance of him. The band wants to start making their way up. This is just a moment and a time to stop and reflect. If there's anything that God has put on your heart or your mind this morning, we love hearing from you. You have your connect cards in front of you, and it's a chance just to connect with Chris and I or our greater body. There's something you want more information about, that you want to know more about, that you want prayer for, put it down. If you want to be prayed for as the band sings these next couple songs, you can head to the back, and Chris is back there at the purple lanyard if you don't know who he is. And we'd love to just pray with you and for you, but we'd love to hear from you. So just take a moment to respond.